Hey everyone, and welcome to The Mason Jar. I'm David Kern, and coming up in a few minutes, we are going to have an interview that Cindy Rollins conducted with our guest this month, Celeste Cruz. First, I need to say a quick word on behalf of our sponsor. Roman Roads Media is a publisher of Christian classical curriculum designed for homeschoolers and homeschool co-ops, and they're back with a giveaway for Cersei Podcast listeners. Each episode in April and May, they're going to be giving away one of the 16 units from Wes Callahan's Old Western Culture series, a high school video course that guides you through the great books of Western civilization. Complete with workbooks, discussion questions, and readers, Wes Callahan draws from decades of teaching experience as he tells the story of Western civilization, integrating history, lit, theology, politics, philosophy, and much, much more. So here's how to enter that giveaway. When this episode is posted on the Cersei Facebook page, please leave a comment saying which unit of the Old Western Culture series you would choose if you win. So you could get the Medieval Lit, the, uh, the medieval lit unit, you could get the uh, Ancient Lit unit, you could get uh, one of their poetry units. Go check it out. There's all kinds of units there. You choose one, you post a comment saying which one you'd like to win, and one of those comments will be drawn at random three days after that episode is posted. So to browse the available titles in the Old Western Culture series, just head over to romanroadsmedia.com, take a look, choose which one you'd want, and again, post it as a comment on our Facebook page. Also, thanks to everyone who's been listening. Your words of encouragement, your comments uh, have been so encouraging, um, so helpful. Uh, it was great running into a few of you at a recent homeschool convention in Cincinnati. Um, it's fun to uh, to actually meet people who we've either just met on social media or um, have never met before and who come up and say, hey, uh, we love the show. And um, <laughs> sometimes they hear our voices and they, they show up and they say, hey, I recognized your voice. So that's always fun. A little weird, but fun at the same time. Um, not weird in a bad way, just just odd to, to be experiencing that. Um, but it is so wonderful to know that people are listening and being encouraged by these shows. So thanks for letting us know that. If you have not uh, subscribed yet on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get podcasts, please do that. Um, you can you can subscribe to the network, of course, or um, just the, the, the Mason Jar feed. So thanks so much for doing that. And again, I, I always say it, but your reviews, uh, whether it's a starred review or, a, or an actual comment review, go a long way to making us... Um, be able to do more shows and figure out um, how things are actually going with, with this network. So thanks for being a part of it. We're really grateful to have you along for the ride. All right. So as I said, this month's interview episode of The Mason Jar is with Celeste Cruz. Celeste is very involved in the Ambleside online community. Um, so you can find her over there on the forums. But she is also a mother of eight, almost nine. Her ninth child will be due here soon. And Cindy and Celeste talk about that a little bit. She blogs over at joyouslessons.blogspot.com, and Cindy wanted to have her on to talk about a number of subjects, and they, it's a pretty wide-ranging, far-reaching conversation, which is nice, but they focus most especially on exams and, and how to make that a part of your Charlotte Mason um, teaching experience and, and your family's academic life. Um, so I'll, I won't say any more. Without further ado, I'll, I'll toss it over to that interview. So here is Cindy Rollins and Celeste Cruz. Enjoy. So welcome, Celeste, to the Mason Jar. Thank you very much, Cindy. And you and and tell tell us a little bit about your family and yourself. You do have now. Are you expecting your ninth baby? I am. Yes, I am due at the beginning of July. Wow, that's coming up pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, not not as quickly as it as it sometimes feels like it should be. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling no, pretty I'm... far along these days, but right. soon enough. Soon. 
And your oldest is pretty young. It, it, your oldest is 10 or 11? How yeah, old is 10, he? 10. So 10. they're wow. all kind of right, right in there. Wow, that's exciting. Well, congratulations, and we'll, we'll be excited to hear. And you have, how many girls and boys do you have? So right now I have four and four, so it's oh, an even wow. split. And this next one is going to be a boy. So the boys are taking the lead in the home, um, mm. which the other boys are very excited about. Oh, I know. I know. I'm <laughs> sure that was a bitter yeah. disappointment for the girls to lose that epic battle. There. It was, especially because we were girl heavy for a, a little while. And so I, this is three boys in a row for us. So they have oh. caught up significantly. And it was a little it was a little hard to take, but everyone's excited now. So, <laughs> OK, well, well. We'll, we'll root for the girls next time. <laughs> yeah, next time. That's what they. That's what the kids say. Next time, it can be a girl. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, um, you are really busy at home, obviously, and then you're also, you know, very active in the Charlotte Mason community online. How did you find out about Charlotte Mason or hear about her? Um, I actually heard about Charlotte Mason before I had any children. So my husband and I married right out of college, and I started grad school thinking that I would be an English professor. And so um, I was studying along, and we started to feel the call to start a family, but I just started to look at what my life looked like as a grad student and what my career plans were, and I wasn't really sure how it would fit with um, the kind of home life that we wanted. And all of a sudden, homeschooling came on my radar totally unexpectedly. I had never considered it before. And I got really excited about the possibility. It seemed like, you know, my educational interests and my wanting to stay home with my children um, sort of co coincided there. So I started looking at different methods. I knew that I didn't want to do a um, traditional school at home. So I thought, what else is out there? And Charlotte Mason was one of the ones that popped up on, you know, some kind of list of all the different types of philosophies you could employ. Um, and right away there was a connection. I obviously didn't have a full understanding of it, but everything that I read about it, I loved. And it just became my research project, <laughs> which is really nice to have when um, you don't have children yet, because I had time to kind of sort through some of that, um, get excited about the process, um, look at some of the philosophy, um, especially in the early years and was able to start with that philosophy right off the bat. So I, I'm really thankful that I came across her so early on and had that time with just little ones where I could lurk on forums and Yahoo groups and eventually blogs. And and that's why actually I enjoy being part of the online community today because I just got so much out of that as a young, young mom, um, being able to see other people's experiences with the method and everything that they shared was so inspiring to me and I'm just really grateful to now be able to be part of that community and and share my own experiences and, and uh, form those relationships and such so so it's been a long process for me and as you might imagine um, when you discover that kind of thing before you have kids you're really excited to start yeah <laughs> I know you know everyone every mom that finds it early on and knows that they're going yeah. to homeschool is like waiting for that one to turn year one and they can actually get going yeah um, I remember being a little bit like that and I have definitely um mellowed over the last six years seven years or whatever it has been um and part of that is just having more children and part of that is just uh, settling into the philosophy but it's really been a, a joy for me yeah, I mean, we're going to talk today about exams, 
but we could we really could talk about um, applying Charlotte Mason in a large family and and, and maybe someday we and, and maybe we'll we'll touch on that here and there as we go because it does look a little different I think sometimes uh, for one thing it's wonderful because it is an atmosphere of discipline in a life and that just plugs right into the family so yeah. it's not a special dispensation for your family because it's right. large but I'm sure it looks a little bit I mean it, I know for my family um, I made adjustments and tweaks um, that that uh, that had to do with my own large family, and I'm sure that's what you've had to do too. Also, yeah, yeah. and especially you know how it is. It's like when every other year is a baby year, um, you know, you yeah. kind of have to learn to roll with that and adapt. Um, and I, it's a different experience um, always having toddlers and always having babies in the house um, right, during schooling. Right. So. It's like, it, like you said, it, it really is a lifestyle. And the thing that I enjoy so much about using this method in particular is that I feel like we've been able to build a family culture together around these things that are so soul enriching and um, joy filled um, instead of just passing everyone their graded textbook or their graded workbook and sitting down to work together. It's actually things that we can kind of engage in all together get excited about and it really is a family culture yeah you don't hear the mom of a large family saying um um how do i teach greek to my three-year-old you know we're just all we're happy that they can that, but on the other hand the, the, the three-year-old in a large family is probably hearing shakespeare and plutarch and all these wonderful things so it, it does all work itself out i think <laughs> yeah and it definitely filters down in fact we have a, a shakespeare performance coming up on friday that my kids are doing with some local friends and the kids put it all together themselves and we all just come together to enjoy all the other children's performances and even my two-year-old is just adamant that he's going to have his one line. <laughs> and you think right. it right. is a lot easier in that sense. I mean, having kids underfoot is, is hard in some ways, but it also is easier because I don't have to like um, intentionally plan as much for that age group as I did when it was my oldest age group. Right. I can, right. I, it's, it's so much filters down and they just suck all of it up. And it's, so it's, it's just like a wonderful family atmosphere. I think with, with this method in particular. Yeah, now what your your area of expertise kind of has become, and maybe because nobody else wanted to take up this mantle, but you're you're very well known for talking about use and using exams in your home. Is is that correct? Yeah, I think part of it is just that it's one of those things that people know that Charlotte Mason did on a term by term basis, but um, haven't taken the plunge to implement yet. Um, and it was something that I started with in year one. And so I happen to be the one <laughs> sort of sharing about it when, like you said, not everyone has um, has started that yet. So it's it's um, fun for me to talk about because it's something that I think a lot of moms want to do in their homes. But um, for one reason or another, just haven't um, quite gotten started yet. Yeah, I didn't get started with exams until my children were much older. Um, and my, well, I, I had two that I started with Ambleside Online from the very beginning, and I, they were the two I did start exams with. But then I had a hard time keeping it up, and there wasn't, you know, I didn't, um, I didn't hear a lot of people talking about it, and I didn't force the issue. And now, you know, I use exams and 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 with the kids I teach, and, and I really, really love it, and, and I see such a benefit in it. But um, but um, what what are your goals? What are the goals? Um, why why do we get to have these exams, and why would we give them? Well, I think 
first, Charlotte Mason style exams are so different from what yeah. we might have in our history about what exams would be like. Um, and I think that's part of the reason that people don't necessarily look into them is um, e whether they had a positive or negative experience with exams in their own past, it just doesn't seem that attractive. Like it doesn't seem that fun. Um, my kids are probably not going to enjoy it. And why would I add this when things are kind of going smoothly? Um, but I think when you look at what Charlotte Mason exams um, actually entail, it's it's really exciting um, because the, the goal really is to allow the student to show what he knows, right? I mean, we're used to the, the trick question and the, right, you know, trying, right. to, trying to figure out, tease out what a student doesn't know. And that's not, that's not what's happening here at all. Um, so it really allows students to shine and develop confidence. Um, and it touches all the, these exams touch on all areas of the curriculum. So it's acknowledging the value of what others might consider secondary areas. Um, like what we sometimes call the riches, um, it tests the student as a person. So it's looking at how did they relate to the pictures they studied? How did they do in their handicrafts? I mean, it's, it's all-encompassing. All um, and so in that way, it's really able to assess how much they care. And uh, we know that that's one of those famous Charlotte Mason quotes. It's not how much they know, but how much they care. Um, I think exams really are able to show us that as teachers. And that is the exciting part because the students do care. I mean, they do form various relationships over the course of the term. And to be able to share that again with their teacher and other members of the family, because that's included as well, um, is, is exciting to them. And their enthusiasm is a joy to the teacher, uh, I think, to see. So we're looking at like what connections they've made and trying to see what kind of growth the student has made over the course of the year. Um, and one thing that I found really heartening when I first started looking into this was even in the Charlotte Mason schools, the teachers or the parent, depending on whether it was a home or, or classroom school, would write a little vignette on the student um, to, to turn in with their exam answers to pass over to the um, examiners that they employed. And so the examiner would sit down with the booklet that they received from the student and it would have like a little write up of who the student was and the areas that they had been working on that term, um, what particular issues they might have had that would um, affect how their exam looked and then look at their answers. And um, they would actually comment on them with all of those uh, additional, you know, the um, original things in mind. So when I'm thinking about my students, I think. I know them as, as students, being their mother and their teacher, and so I'm able to sort of look at my students' work with them as a whole person, and thinking through the things that we've done over the course of the term, it's really a valuable experience for me as a teacher um, and as their mother. So I think, um, I think you hit upon something there, because what I think is happening, and I think it was happening with me, is I would read Charlotte's works, and I would see the exams, and I would have this fear in my heart that my kids wouldn't do that well, or that, uh, and yet, um, and yet, I'm not, you're not pulling the exams out of a hat, they're not, they're not things the kids have not, um, you're not giving them an exam on something they haven't interacted with, so, um, so there, there's this fear that my child is not going to be able to perform like these kids do. I'm so impressed with these exams that she shows me. How could I ever, ever expect something like that out of my own child? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's when we're giving the exams, 
So first, we're not necessarily assessing the student, mm -hmm. but at the same time, that means we're kind of assessing ourselves as teachers and, you know, because if they don't respond the way that we were hoping they would respond to a question, then ultimately it falls on what could we have done better mm -hmm. to, to help scaffold their learning or whatever it was. Right. Um, right. And, and that can be a little bit scary, I think, but um, only in the case of if we're looking at it as like successes and failures. And I think really it's, it's not that black and white of like this was successful and this wasn't, but more what can I learn about myself as a teacher? What things could we do differently? And sort of looking at it as a positive um, you know, like a, an opportunity for growth. And I know that they've been really um, educative for me to sort of see some of my blind spots um, in a good way, though, in a way of because I'm not expecting that I'm going to be the perfect teacher. Um, you know, I've only been doing this for six years or whatever. I don't anticipate being the perfect teacher for quite a long time, if ever. So um, being aware of where those spots are that I could maybe tweak to be have a more successful term is should always be a good thing not a fear thing um, and it's easier said than done but I think you're right that a lot of people are really worried what the exams will look like um, you know the the results yeah and, I, I... and remember the, the questions are really open-ended usually um, especially in the younger years yeah they're given yeah. options they're choosing the thing they like best to talk about and you know when when they're making those kinds of selections themselves you're gonna see a lot of enthusiasm pop up in the students um, and that's that's really heartening. I mean, most of the people that I hear from that have tried exams are like, you know, 75% really excited about how their students did and in an unexpected way. And then 25% might be like, hmm, 25% <laughs> of the, the results make them kind of wonder what could I have done differently. But there's a lot there that is really encouraging for the teacher. Um, and the students just kind of, once they get the hang of exams, really take off on it and are, are thrilled to be able to tell about their progress. Yeah, I mean, I've noticed with my my students, they really want to have exams. I mean, I know I know there are always those kind of students that can't wait for exams, but they really look forward. And I think it affects their future work. One, that, to me, that's one of the benefits is that now they realize, oh, someone's going to care about this in the future, so I should care about this in the future. Yeah, yeah. For sure. It, 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 um, I think it's, so it continues that narration process. So, I mean, obviously you're doing a reading and then you're doing a narration, but then to see it pop up later in the term um, at end of term exams is just that it, it gives the student, like you said, that motivation to kind of sharpen that attention a little bit more. Think about um, narrating into a different context, right? In exams versus the, just that simple immediate narration. So I think definitely gives the students a, a richer sense of engagement with the material. Right. So, so let's talk a little bit about practical application because I know mm -hmm. that's what moms really like to hear. Um, <laughs> so, what what does an exam week look like in your family, or exam so day, I'm, or exam however long you do an exam? Yeah, we do them sort of over the course of a week. Um, so I have, let's see, this, we just finished our school year actually. So I had um, two fifth graders and a second grader and a first grader this year. Mm -hmm. So we had form one and form two exams is sort of how I think of them because I, I do group my um, two younger ones in a lot of ways. Right. Um, it looks, so our, our week in general, um, it is our, our exam week is also our break week. So I know in Charlotte Mason schools, 
they took the whole week and they basically went through the normal timeline and instead of doing lessons, they would do the exam. So if you had math for 40 minutes, you know, on Tuesday, then you'd be doing your math exam during that time. Okay. Um, since So we don't do it like that because since it serves as our break week also, um, I try to make it a light week. Um, and we so we usually do exams from about Monday to Wednesday. And then we have kind of Thursday and Friday off and I am able to do some term planning and that kind of thing. So um, that's a little bit different. Um, for my independent students, my fifth graders, they really like to manage their exams on their own timeline. Mm -hmm. So they like to see all of their work that's gonna be required for the exam session and pick and choose the order that they work in. And that's not how we mm -hmm. started doing things, but they have, they have mentioned that to me, like, I would really like to be able to see all of it, work on the questions in my own order. Um, and they also like to do them almost entirely written instead of a mix of oral and written. Um, they just enjoy okay. doing that and sort of sitting down with their packet. It's, it's exciting to them to, I think it, they take a little bit of pride in seeing the amount that they're going to go through in the course of the few days. And so they like that. So basically what I do for them is I set up the questions that I'm going to have them answer um, with room for them to write and hand it to them on Monday. And I also include in the front a list of all the things that are not written um, narration. So for example, they're going to be finishing a handicraft project that they've been working on and show it to grandma on Skype, or they're going to finish up their piano recital piece for the recital on Saturday, or, you know, things that they're not actually going to turn into me. Um, right, right. I put that like a cover sheet. And so they are able to like kind of go to town on that. And those are for my more independent workers. Um, my form one kids, I do it pretty similar to how Charlotte Mason would do, would have done at the PNU schools. I sit down with them. They're all oral right now. Um, sure. So sure. we sit down during our normal, you know, our normal scheduled um, chunks of school time in the day. We have one in the morning, one at nap time. So I sit down one by one, give them a question, let them answer. Um, and then I do have them do some drawn narrations too, because since I have two form one students that are getting a lot of the same questions, I need to work with them individually so they don't, you know, hear each other's answers. So I will send one in the other room to, you know, complete um, a drawn narration that they're going to do for one of their assignments. And then the other one will sit with me and do an oral. Um, and, now do you, and when they're doing their oral narrations, do you write down what they, they say, or do you just know that they did it or check it off somewhere uh what i do i actually audio record them ah, um, for the audio. most part occasionally i will have them speak and i will transcribe right there and then um either written or um typing but i like to audio record them because then i get to hear their voices when two years from now when i look back on an exam oh, that makes it's so sad i never even thought of that because i didn't have well, all this you know, computer stuff <laughs> yeah, no that's one of the advantages that we have now because um they actually kind of have a joke when they talk about exams in um pneu schools that like the poor teachers of the earlier forms would be just writing and writing and writing the whole day the things that were dictated oh. to them and they brought extra people in to help with that. They even have like some of the older students um, take the younger students' dictations because it was a lot, it's a lot of work to write down everything. Um, so I do like being able to do that. We do some as video as well. So I have, those are really the only records that I keep um, mm. of transcribed narrations for the whole year. So is our term exams. So they kind of function as a record keeping for me as well. So right, I like having right. kind of a mix. 
Um, and if they do a drawn narration, then I do write for them. I'd say, tell me about, you know, what you drew and those I'll just write at the bottom of their paper, um, whatever they'd like to say about it. But so, so there's, those look pretty formal, um, and kind of keep in keeping with the usual style. Um, and then we still, whatever we haven't, like if I, we haven't gotten to everything by Wednesday, then I just assume that I asked a little bit too much. Um, and we sort of close it down there. Um, and then the later, like usually on the weekend following, we'll do a little celebration, end of term celebration, where, and that's when they'll do their, um, their recitations for daddy. Right, so right. he'll join us. He will, they'll do their poem, their Bible passage, their songs, they'll play their piano and show their craft, um, those kinds of things that we want to include him um, in. And that makes it special. And then we have, we usually have a little treat um, to celebrate. And I will sometimes, I usually pull together some kind of little end of term treat. Usually it's like maybe some um, supplementary reading that, you know, like some historical fiction that ties into the era we studied. Uh, they get like little, their own prints of the artists that we studied mm -hmm. for that term, things like that. And I just sort of put them on the table and it's kind of to create a festive atmosphere. But that's kind of a way to all of us celebrate together that we finished the term strong and had a successful um, learning experience together. And so they, they look forward to the whole week of being able to show what they know and then, you know, celebrate a job well done. So it's, I think there's a lot of ways that you could do it to make it fun um and i just think that the the goal is really just to keep it um like serious work is going on but at the same time um it should be something that they feel confident about and take pride in and so i think you could do certain things with your atmosphere to kind of help facilitate right, that right make it, yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah so so give me a, a couple sample uh qu exam questions that you might use with say let's start with your fifth graders do you have a couple exam questions you could throw out there for us? Yeah, sure. Like, um, let's see. I might say, so we, we studied Macbeth. So I would ask them to describe a scene from Macbeth. And then I would pull one from history. For example, we studied um, Teddy Roosevelt. And um, I asked them to say two things that... Um, two events that Teddy Roosevelt was involved in and, and um, what his role was in those things. Um, so it's, it's open, it, it, it sort of spe specifies a particular person, but it's open-ended in what the, they can share. And they actually right. read a whole biography right. on him, so they would have plenty of material to sure. pull from. Um, for the Bible, we, we studied the Gospel of St. Matthew, so I actually had them choose a, a passage from the Gospel of St. Matthew and write it in their commonplace and then in their nicest hand and then tell me what the context of the passage was. Mm. Um, so I, I, and then I always, my, so my daughter is a very, um, she loves creative writing just in her own time. We haven't done any creative writing um, in school, but she enjoys doing that. So I try to throw in a couple creative questions. Like for example, I'll ask them to, do write something in verse, which is something that they asked in the upper forms, um, not in form two, but she really enjoys that option. So I always leave it open to her whether she would like yeah, to do Yeah, I but... do that too. And of course I had a, a sixth grader who loves to do verse this year. And I, I might just give her a rhyme scheme or, you know, 
in syllables say a b a b you know and say write a you know write me a poem that fills in this um she loves that and she does she really does such a great job at it that i'm always amazed and and i think that's a great way for them to express themselves a little bit and yeah and you know it's funny because they actually in some of the articles about exams they actually mentioned that they use verse to teach the students economy so if you have a very chatty narrator Verse is sometimes a way to rein them in and help them to learn how to call their ideas into, you know, the most significant points. And I think it does do that because she tends to be a chatty narrator and um, but really enjoys trying to decide what to put in um, when she's limited to length or format. So that's yeah, fun. You know, that's not a problem we hear about a lot, but there is that there. There is, we hear about how do I get my child to say, you know, they just say something, you know, that we just want to pull more out of them. But there are the children that, um, how do you stop them? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, it, it's funny because um, they have a really useful rubric kind of article in, um, uh, in the archives about what the examiners were looking for. They actually had f um, five different things they looked for and um, relevancy and accuracy um, and economy. So they have these certain values that they were looking for in writing. And obviously they're looking at form four and up for um, the full effect of those. But I, uh, they actually talk about what kinds of comments they make to sort of rein in some of those things that, you know, they're not problems per se, but they're just ways that you want to kind of guide your student one way or the other. Um, and I think chatty narrators are great in some ways. I mean, I love the enthusiasm that my kids have when they just want to go on and on about a story. Of course, we all love that. But um, they do eventually have to learn uh, what's significant and what isn't and what are the detail elements and how many do I want to include or I'm going to dilute my story, That kind, those kinds of things. And those are for later ages, but I think we can kind of hint at some of those things in the earlier forms. Right. So, so if a mom wanted to start exams, um, um, do you do with how many weeks do you read to your kids before, like you have an exam week? Is it like a thirteen? Or I mean, uh, yeah, we do weeks? twelve. Twelve weeks. We you, you, uh, use the AO term, so we do twelve weeks, and then exam week is after that. Right. Okay. Okay. So, so when you first started doing this, now the AO has um, on the Ambleside Online site, they have some um, exam questions for. Do they, I think they have them for each term or maybe for group, uh, they have, but they have quite a few exam questions uh, on, on the site. And then you have exam questions, I think, on your site. Um, did you, did you just, I mean, I'm sure every book, sometimes we, you know, we tweak things, we use a different book. Um, but do you find it, it's hard to make up an exam question or it really isn't that difficult? Um, I don't think it's that difficult. So Ambleside Online does have exams and there's, they are wonderful because they are sectioned out for every year and term. And you can, if you're following AO pretty much as written, you can literally just print them from that, stick them in your binder and you're ready to go for exam week. I mean, it really is that simple. Wow, that's um, wonderful. It's wonderful. And it's something that they've worked on for, you know, the last few years. When I first started doing exams, those, um, were not available. They didn't have that yet. That it's a kind of a newer resource. Yeah, I didn't um, so even realize it was there when I started. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, until... it's within the last few years they mm -hmm. put that together, um, and so that's why I started making my own was just because there weren't any. Um, but they did always have um, on their website. They always had the sample PNEU questions that they had pulled from various programs. Um, and sort of called into like form one, here's the kinds of questions that you would ask in form one and form two and form three. 
and you could look at samples. Um, and you, so I basically looked at those samples and substituted, you know, what we were actually studying for those PNEU um, exam questions. So those were extremely useful. They're still there. There's, it's a huge resource. Um, there are more in the archives, but there are plenty to keep people busy <laughs> of getting ideas right there on the Ambleside Online website. Um, and so you could, you could um, pull those, substitute your own books in, your own stories that you have read, um, your, the geography that you've done, pull a question that relates to that term's geography instead, um, and print it out like that. Um, so I always start from there as my basis, is the PNU questions, um, and now the Ambleside Online ones. And then as I pre-read through the term, or as my students and I have discussions about this and that, I try to, um, I always make notes on my, I do weekly notes for myself. Mm -hmm. And some, sometimes I think of exam questions while I'm doing my pre-reading. And so I write those down in Evernote in a file. And so when it comes to the end of the term, I sort of pull all of those sources together and just pick some, print them out, and I'm ready to go. So it can be as, I make it a little more complicated just because I like to um, individualize them a tad, but you can definitely just go with what's there and have a really meaty, rich kind of exam experience. And, and what, now you say you do, what, what age would you start exams at? It, um, did you start at a younger age than Form 1? No, I started at Year 1, and that's where they start in, in the Charlotte Mason School. So I just saw it on the <laughs> I saw it on the, um, the articles and thought, okay, I'm going to start them in Year 1 too. So, yeah, you would start it. And, of course, they would have – fewer questions, they were much more open-ended, um, all oral, and so they definitely like graduate in difficulty as you move along, and for the younger kids, um, my kids love, my little kids love doing exams, because it's, you know, it's like they get to pick the things that they enjoyed most and tell about them, so you can start it at that early age, and it doesn't, it doesn't need to feel difficult for them. Right, now I know with my student, I, I threw in some, you know, some skill work into the exam week, um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. some things like, you know, write a sentence in your best handwriting or um, some things like that, um, uh, tell me the eight parts of speech, which, um, you know, I just review those orally a lot with the kids, so it helps me to see, um, you know, that we're not doing this really deep formal grammar, so it, is my conversation with them working, you know, are we, you know, are we picking up tidbits of grammar along the way? And so far, so good. I feel like we are. So, um, um, the, and the exam week kind of helps me with a few of those little, little skill areas, um, to, to throw that out there. Um, and I was, when you were talking before about how surprising um, it is, to, I was, when we did um, picture study in school, it seemed like, and uh, in, in our, the school I work in now, it really didn't seem like the kids were tuning in, and it kind of bothered me a little bit. But when we got to exam week, two of my students got so excited when I said, well, I'm going to have you, um, you know, see if you can reproduce one of the paintings that we studied in, in your own way. And um, and rem all the to see how many details you can remember, and that that I think that was their favorite thing. And these were two kids that I did not think were were tuned in at all to um, the picture study, and, and that ended up being one of the best um, questions on the exam that and, and one they wanted to repeat in the future. So, which made our yeah. future picture study much more hopeful on my part. <laughs> You're like I'm not failing, <laughs> right? Well, you right. know. That's that is, I often hear people say, well, I hear their narrations every day, 
Um, and I, I know how they're doing. So what would be the, you know, what would be the purpose of doing exams? They're just telling back things that I, they already told me about. Um, but I, I find for myself, I have made a lot of little tweaks and improvements based on things that I thought were going fine on the week by week, but that when it came to exam time, I realized there, there was a little hole missing or, you know, just something else that I could, um, that I could change to make us more successful. Like, for example, um, one term, their geography answers, they were kind of like, I don't know, I, I you know, they would kind of have this sort of general answer and I could tell that they were completely lacking on the specifics, but on the week to week, you know, they had been narrating it just fine. And I realized that it was, they were, they were not internalizing those lessons. They were really just kind of regurgitating the information. Right. <laughs> and I hadn't noticed that because their narrations seemed like they were going well. Um, and so it, it was something as simple as um, instead of me just pulling out the map before a reading and showing the place that it was going to be, I realized, no, that really was me, me doing the work for them because they weren't paying attention when I was doing that, obviously, or they would have been able to recall it a little more um, carefully. So I would have them pull out the map and show me the place that they were doing it. And I gave them a little blank map to keep in their binder where whenever somewhere new came up, we wouldn't just look at it on the globe, which is what we had been doing, um, and turned out to for them to be kind of passive. Um, not that it's always like that, but for them it was. Instead, they could get out their their map and they could mark it and put who was there. Um, and all of a sudden, the next term, sure enough, um, a huge improvement. And that was just some very simple tweaks on my part. But I would not have noticed that hole if we had not, I hadn't had them recall it later on at exam time, you know, 10 weeks later. Um, wow. And it was something just so simple. Um, that, and things like that come up all the time. Example. Yes, that is an excellent example. Because when a teacher is teaching, she's not passive. Um, and she might not notice that everybody around her is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, you know, you have your, I mean, you you sort of fall into a groove sometimes where you do something they respond with their narration and then you move on to the next thing and sometimes when those things don't get revisited later um, things can kind of slip through the cracks that could really easily be fixed yeah and it's I, I found it so encouraging when they remember um, I know um, with one of my students um, he loves fairy tales and he will he will say remember that fairy tale and he can tell me so many details from fairy tales we we did months before that um, it's very encouraging to me. Now, my brain doesn't work quite that well as his, and I'm always like, I vaguely remember that. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> but, um, but it's encouraging when you see how far back they really do remember the things that they have processed for themselves. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's a, they get better and better at exams as you go along, just like with narration, you know, where you have your early narrator mm, and gradually yeah. they get better and better at it. It's the same with exams. So, you know, with the first exams, you don't ever want to take it um, too much to heart when there's, when there's mistakes or things that you feel like should have been known but weren't. And that's why it's good to kind of adjust expectations according to, you know, age and according to how new they are to the process. But over time, you can look back at prior exams and just be kind of amazed at that term by term progress. And that's really encouraging for, for the teacher too. Yeah, I think so. And, and then it's something you can show your parents or other people. And, and, and it, unless of course it, it's a disappointment to you, which, um, 
Which, as you say, it's not something to panic about. It's just something to use as information um, um, to, to examine how you're going about things and maybe you're, you're, you need to tweak um, your own approach to some of these things. Yeah, and sometimes it's also the question. I mean, um, when, when they would get bad, what they would consider sort of a bad um, set of exam answers in the PNEU schools, the examiners would sort of point that out to the mm. board and they would look at that, and so it was, they didn't say, what's wrong with the student? They would either say, so what's going on with either the teacher or the school and some of the methods they're using? Let's look at that. Let's look at the book and that we're using. Is it really living? Seems like students aren't connecting for some reason. Is there a way that we can change that? And then they would say, let's look at the question. <laughs> and was the question too specific for the age? Was it not specific enough? Like sometimes when it's too open-ended, the student sort of flounders at coming up with anything at all. Whereas if it was a little bit more specific, they would have been able to hone in on something that incited their imagination. So it's not always that it's us as the, as the problem, but I think it's, it's good to be mindful of our own part of the process, the questions we're asking, the books we're using, the student and how he feels it could be just an off day. So there's all those different things that go into assessment, just like any kind of assessment. Um, but yeah. it's, good to, yeah. it's good to be mindful, that's all. Right, right, yes. Um, and, and I kind of got in trouble on the question and answer because um, when I was talking about this whole idea of tweaking, I said um, that Ambleside Online was just a book list, which what I, I did not mean that at all. That it was, I, I meant, what I meant was the part of Ambleside Online that is a book list is something that um, you, can, you can use as a, a framework or a bone structure or skeleton um, and if you need to move books in and out of that structure, um, I think, you know, that's perf to me, that's not a pro I don't have a problem with that. I think that's what a parent should be doing. A mom, as she looks at her children and she sees what's living to this child, what's a living book um, in my family? Because um, you, kids come from different backgrounds and, and different, a very, very literature rich um, environment where the King, you know, you're reading the King James Bible or some some Bible uh, and of that nature um, is going to be a child coming out of that is going to be able to handle uh, different material than uh, a child uh, from a whole different background. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, yeah. And you know, one of the things um, when they would look at the exam answers, they had thousands to look at. And so if it was across the board and, and a question was not getting answered thoroughly, then they could look at the book. And I think with the Ambleside Online selections, obviously that many students are using these books. And so we can say, okay, this book is a successful successful book, objectively speaking, but for a particular student, it might be the timing, it might be the portion, or for some other reason, it's just not working right yeah, now. Yeah, it might and just be my like, if it's to read aloud and I'm struggling with it, it, it doesn't necessarily mean the child couldn't, um, enjoyed. As a matter of fact, I've, I've had that happen many times where the child enjoyed a book quite to my surprise what, that I wasn't enjoying. Um, you know, it wasn't touching me in any way, but um, it was touching them. So I don't think you should throw books out unnecessarily because I do think that um, there are, there are hidden, hidden treasures when you persevere with certain books. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's why it's, it's just good for us to always be um, just always thinking, always assessing, um, tweaking, thinking term by term, just, you know, assessing the, the, the homeschool in general and each individual child 
and thinking about ways that we can um, just sort of mindfully teach and the, that. The student. other problem is um, I love what Ambleside has done with making so many books available. Uh, the On the other hand, there are so many books out there. Sometimes in a family, you have to say, oh, you know, I, I only have time for so many books. I really want to read this book. So I'm going to tweak this just, just for the, the sheer... Um, time factor of so many books so little time yeah and, and yeah. you sometimes have something really special on your shelf that you want to be able to share with your kids and I know that I've done rearranging because I've got two and um I've got a year I just finished a year two and a year one and so I combined them for a lot of things and they will each head off on their own later on but while I'm reading aloud to them we're doing it together so there's there's lots of opportunities for using that spine and then understanding the principles and then working within that context. Yeah, I did that a lot I, with my um, kids that started in Ambleside. Our read aloud times, I I read the spines, and then during their um, own work, um, they were working off. They were reading their book lists, and most of their book lists were Ambleside selections. And I might have th thrown in some, you know, I usually had a section called free reading, and then they could pick a book they wanted, which. Uh, you know, with the, it wasn't gen really a book they wanted, like I'm going to let them loose in the library, especially now, even now, more so now than even then. Um, but it would have been a book off a free le reading list, basically. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I always like them to to um, have some freedom uh, sometime during the day. I would let them loose <laughs> for a few minutes. Uh, so, uh, so well, is there anything else about exams um, before we just make a quick foray into maybe nature study here? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I think we pretty much covered quite a bit there. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll we'll just throw that out there for anybody you know who's interested in exams, and I hope I think I think they're gaining traction, and I th I think you've had a lot to do with that. So I appreciate you talking to me about it now. I, some uh, Dawn, Dawn Duran told me that you make uh, formal nature study outings a weekly priority in your home school. And that's just something that I'm, I'm, it's really if possibly my most um, emphatic thing <laughs> um, that I feel about. So do you, is that true? Is this true about you? <laughs> yes, it is. She is not lying. <laughs> it's true. She's not? <laughs> Yes, um, I, so I'm not a nature person, or at least I was not at all, mm -hmm. um, and, but I read Charlotte Mason, Insistence on um, the Importance of Nature Study, Time Outdoors, and I knew that that was going to be a growing process for me, um, but I have one of those kind of ideal-driven personalities, so if I'm convinced that something is going to be a, a mm -hmm. benefit, then I'm going to, you know, kind of figure out a way to make that happen. Uh, within reason, obviously, I have a realistic vision of my family, but we started really simply. Um, when my two oldest were in kindergarten, we started, I just committed, I'm going to do a weekly outing. We were obviously playing in the backyard and that sure, sort of thing, but I was sure. going to go out to some sort of wild space once a week, and I was going to do a weekly nature journal entry, and that was just for my own self. My kids were still little, um, and I thought, okay, I, I'm a big proponent of her vision for habit training and I know I use it on myself quite a bit <laughs> so I, I know that I had to have some kind of regular commitment to be able to make it happen at all um, and honestly that as simple as that sounds that was even a bit of a stretch for me <laughs> so I arranged to meet with a group of friends who were also interested 
um, every Friday morning. So mm. it was built into my day or my week. I'm setting myself up for success. And we've basically been doing that for the last six years with mm -hmm. various friends. You know, people have come, people have gone, moved. Um, we've done more years where we've done something more formal where we'll do like a monthly object lesson. We'll do a monthly nature journaling exercise with all of the children. Um, and then some years I've had a baby and we've just been, okay, once a week we're going to go out and explore and observe and play. And then, um, and then that weekly journal time has also changed. Sometimes we have brought our things along with us. Um, and tried to do some journaling in the field. Um, but when we first started, I think I had five kids under six. And wow. <laughs> the, th the thought of trying to bring all of our stuff along was so overwhelming yeah. um, that yeah. I, th I thought I'm not going to require myself to do that at all. Um, I just want it to be really a pleasant experience and something that I'm going to commit to, not as it's something I'll dread, um, but something I can learn to enjoy. So we would um, go do our outing and then come home and I would get all the little kids up for nap and my big kids and I would sit down and work on our journals together. And it was, it was a wonderful way of building that habit. Very low key. Um, it felt doable to me and it still does. And so we've gone through various different ways, but we've always done that weekly outing and um, the weekly journal entry. And I know a lot of people try to do that sort of thing daily or multiple times a week. And I think that is great. I, for me, I need something that is doable for our family. And this feels like, you know, the appropriate amount, but things change with ages and, um, you know, different needs. Sure. No, I, I know with my kids, I would say go to, we would take a nature walk and it might be like a little daily thing, but it was, it was not out in the wild. It was because we lived in the country and we could go out in the nature and nature. But at, when we moved into the suburbs, um, I had to rethink everything. And at that point I had to say, we are going to take one day a week and we are going to go on a nature walk, a real one. And, um, I, that was just the best thing I ever did. I, I would fit all their readings for the week into the four days, which really wasn't that hard. I, the Ambleside readings fit fine in the four day framework. And, um, and we would have a week, a day to go out into nature and, and not have quite as much pressure that day. Sometimes we, I would take, because we had a local park, um, one of our local parks, it was easy, had a, had a log cabin with like benches, or you could sit by the stream on benches. Um, sometimes we would do morning time, like read aloud out there and then, and then hike. But mostly we just, um, we would just take a nature walk, um, on those days. And, and I can't say that I was completely consistent about anything in my life, but I was, I tended to be more consistent about that once I just said that is going to happen no matter what. And I love what you're saying. Um, take your nature journals or don't take them, come home and do them or do them. you know, um, do, do it in whatever way works for you and, and don't make it as easy as possible, at least until you get, you know, up to speed and, and you can slowly add in things, but don't let, you know, it become such a production that you dread it and you don't, you don't get out the door. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know how I feel about it matters to the kids yeah. And they can, they can tell if I'm dreading it. And so I, <laughs> sorry about that. No problem. <laughs> um, they can tell if I'm dreading it. And so I don't want that to um, be their takeaway. I want it to be something that we can all enjoy as a family. Um, so we, like you said, we live in the suburbs, so I do need to make it um, 
a, a sort of an intentional priority, but it works. And, you know, one of the other things when I was first thinking about how to fit this in was I thought, okay, what are the things that, what are the parameters that I need to have in place to make this doable for me personally, just with our own family needs? And one of them was, it had to be somewhere close by. Mm-hmm. Um, it had to be, I had to do it in the morning because I have, yeah. I had, you know, a lot of nappers at that right. time and I just, naps are kind of sacrosanct around here. So I try to do things, you know, before or after nap. Um, and then um, I, it needed to be kind of a, a flat, not so much a hike as a walk because yeah. I would yeah. you know, have my littles along and my preschoolers need, and toddlers needed to be able to walk along with us. And so I just set that up and invited people to come. And I thought, you know, there's bound to be some people that will also appreciate these these particular parameters and have it work for their family too. And sure enough, there always has been, there's always been people who are like, yes, that works for us as well. And we'd love to join. So it's been, I love doing it in a group. Um, it's fun. My kids enjoy that. And we also, there's a lot of shared enthusiasm among the moms. Yeah. Um, and I think that filters down to the kids because all of us moms are, really enjoy nature now and um, have fun texting each other photos and trying to identify things together. And right, um, right. so it's, it's, it really creates a community in a different way. And I think that's been very beneficial to like how we feel about nature study. Yes. And I think that's a really important point because people will join co-ops or join um, groups of homeschoolers. And, and one of the main things they will say, and, and even when they know it's not in the best interest of all their children, but a lot of a lot of times it's because they need the fellowship. They need to talk to adults. Um, that's just a perfect way to to add in community into your you know to feed your own soul on nature and on community with other people without um, turning your whole family upside down um, by having to do some co op that's maybe good for two of your kids but not the other four. And then there's nap time, and then you've run that. And I love what you say about nap time. I, I, I feel like I went down in history as the person who believed in naps the longest. <laughs> but uh, when you have a large family, it's just like nap time, nap time. Yeah, it's my lifeline. I mean, because I, right now I have uh, three nappers still, and we do most of our school during their nap. So, um, yeah, I try to keep that going as long as possible. And when you have too many interruptions over the course of the week, then the days that you actually want them to nap, they don't want to nap anymore. Yes, so. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yeah, I always fake them out as long as I could, you know. Oh, yeah. no, six-year-olds don't take naps? I, I'm pretty sure they do. <laughs> yeah, but um, And then they, you know, finally I had to get, you know, give in. But I want to I want to end here, uh, even though I know I could talk and talk about this, but um, I, I just want to point everyone to you are you are on Instagram as joyous. Uh, are you uh, on Instagram? I am on Instagram, but actually under my name, um, Celeste underscore Cruz. Okay. And then you're also on Instagram with a group called Charlotte Mason in real life, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, yes. So what is that? And then we'll we'll wrap it up here. Sure, sure. Um, so Charlotte Mason in real life, it's a new group. Um, it's a team of uh, nine Charlotte Mason homeschool moms. And our goal is to showcase authentic Charlotte Mason principles and practices in the context of varied homeschools. So we have a weekly theme and then the nine of us take turns hosting weeks. And um, we don't just share from our homes, the nine of us, but we also will share from the homes of other homeschool moms that um, share their thoughts on the weekly theme and then tag us. So if they tag us, we're able to share their picture too. And um, it's a great little community. We share a couple pictures each day. 
And you can, it's, a, it's an opportunity to see these principles in action in like a variety of contexts. Um, and there's been a lot of encouraging, inspira uh, inspirational kind of comments going back and forth. And it's just a lot of fun. Um, and so that is at, um, the name of that account is Charlotte Mason IRL. That's what it's under. So okay. if you search Charlotte Mason IRL, we will pop up and you can um, see what that's about too. All right, that sounds wonderful. Well, I have enjoyed thoroughly enjoyed talking to you, and uh, and I and I'm just so uh, impressed with your your family and all the your your dedication and and the, and your hard work. That um, I just pray that God will bless you as you um, have have these babies and and oh, thank you so much to to homeschool them according to Charlotte Mason. But um, thank you, thank you so much for for being with us today. Thank you for inviting me.